KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, September 22nd. CSU academic workers are rallying for a new contract. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The fall and winter seasons are slowly approaching and health officials are warning of a potential rise in COVID cases. In the county, there have been nearly 180 COVID-related hospitalizations over the past week and 12% of COVID tests are coming back positive. Since the beginning of July, 59 people have died from COVID-19 in the county. In response to rising rates, the Biden administration is bringing back free COVID tests. Next week, the federal government will send up to four free COVID-19 rapid tests per household to anyone who requests them via the U.S. mail. You can head to covidtest.gov starting Monday to get yours. Today is the last official day of summer, so try to soak it in. Tomorrow marks the start of the fall season, and it's also National Public Lands Day. In honor of the holiday, all fee-charging national parks will be free to visit. Plus, the National Weather Service says there will be a warming trend in the weather this weekend, so it may be the perfect time to visit your favorite park. Some national parks closest to the county include Joshua Tree National Park, Cabrillo National Monument, and Channel Islands National Park. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Academic workers on the 23 campuses of California State University are rallying for a new contract. Education reporter M.G. Perez has more from SDSU. What do we want? Their contract! What do we want it? Now! Teaching graduate and instructional support student assistants rallied on the San Diego State campus, demanding CSU negotiators do better to provide them a new contract. Contract talks have stalled since May, with the university system offering academic workers a 4% pay raise. They are members of the United Auto Workers 4123, an unconventional pairing that makes sense for Cal State workers, according to Maria Vaughn who is one of them. We're the ones creating the actual tangible goods, whether that be teaching the material or creating car parts. Our struggle is their struggle against the um, owners. The CSU said in a written statement that officials continue to negotiate in good faith, working toward an outcome that is agreeable for both parties as soon as possible. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. If you think you're paying a lot more for gas than last week, you're right. 
The Auto Club of Southern California tracks gas prices and says they are seeing the third fastest week-over-week increase they've ever recorded in Southern California. Reporter Melissa May tells us when gas prices should go down. The price per gallon of regular gasoline jumped a whopping 39 cents since last week. The Auto Club's Ann-Jane Venegas says by the end of October, gas prices should decrease because California switches from the summer blend to the winter blend of gasoline. Summer blend gasoline burns more cleanly in hotter temperatures and is just more expensive to produce. And the winter blend gasoline that we use costs less to produce and also to distribute. So we're going to be paying around 30 cents a gallon less. The Auto Club has some tips for reducing your gas consumption. They say shop around for cheaper gas, use your air conditioning less, take heavy items out of your car, and avoid hard accelerations. Melissa May, KPBS News. A major construction project in San Marcos is nearing completion. North County reporter Alexander Wynn says the city closed the last stretch of Via Veracruz yesterday for crews to install much-needed infrastructure. The San Marcos Creek project has been going on for more than three years. For Ruth Seron, it's affected her business. Her family owns Submarine Sandwich Shop at the other end of Via Veracruz by San Marcos Boulevard. Well, it has been affecting our customers from coming to the neighborhood behind us. Um, it was supposed to take only certain amount of time and it's taking longer. The project was supposed to be completed this past spring, but construction is still going on. Isaac Echemendi is the project engineer for the city of San Marcos. He understands residents' frustration. He says part of the delays stem from the rain we had this winter. Construction is expected to last until the end of the year. Echemendi says despite the delays, the project is still on budget at $114 million. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. Coming up, we have you covered with a few different weekend plan options. We'll have those suggestions and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Oceanside Museum of Art is currently hosting an exhibit titled Art for the People. WPA-era paintings from the Dijkstra Collection. It features art created during the Great Depression through World War II. Arts reporter Beth Accomando has this preview. Brom Dijkstra has a good eye for art as well as a bargain. This is a part of our collection of what we used to call our collection of discarded art. The art he's referring to was part of the government-sponsored Works Progress Administration, or WPA, which gave artists a weekly stipend in exchange for art. But thousands of artists creating work on a regular basis for years left the U.S. government with more art than they knew what to do with. 
The exhibit is essentially a result of about 40 years of collecting of work that was basically being thrown out by a lot of different places. Brahms' wife, Sandra Dykstra, adds that many of the WPA artists were also politically engaged. And because they were politically engaged, both the professional art establishment and the government did not welcome them. Their art was described as social realism, by which they really meant socialist realism. And so this art was not only discarded, it was dissed and denigrated, and the art establishment, the art professional museum establishment cooperated. But the Dykstras saw value in these works that were intended to be both accessible and meaningful to the public. Art for the people was obviously not what the museums wanted in the 80s and 90s, and not until fairly recently. But Oceanside Museum of Art was interested. It's showcasing 45 paintings from the Dykstra Collection for the exhibit Art for the People, WPA-era paintings. Executive Director Maria Mingalone says it's the perfect way to supplement a small museum's permanent collection. So collectors are really part of the, the spine, if you will, or the heart and soul of a museum. Mingalone appreciates the diversity of the Dykstra Collection and how it resonates for today's challenging times. The work that's in this exhibition was made during similar times, and I think that it speaks to sort of what we've been experiencing, and it adds that certain sense of humanity, of understanding what we and people go through when times aren't so great. Many of these paintings emphasize that humanity by focusing on the human figure, as in Harry Sternberg's bold and powerful coal miner and family, in which we see a miner forced to dig under his own home, endangering his family above. Sandra Dykstra points out that many of these painters were critiquing America with a keen eye. One of the objectives of this collection and the show was to bring back the political dimension, but to also show that the art of the period included many different things. That diversity and social commentary are evident in the provocative and surreal New Death, painted by Philip Evergood and depicting the atom bomb. The way these characters, who are basically capitalists, are being caught up in the new death of the atom bomb, and there's a kind of a a sense of a spidery world. And in that spidery world, it's not just the people who are plotting the destruction of the world, but also all of humanity, you might say, is being caught up. The intense, thick, and deceptively chaotic texture of the paint conveys an emotion that can only be appreciated in person, says Mingalone. So you can experience things in print or in digital formats, but there is nothing like literally being in front of a painting or in front of a work of art, and the experience that you have is intangible. The Dykstra Collection serves up a diverse array of breathtaking art that has not always received the appreciation it deserves. Art for the People, WPA-era paintings, celebrates this art. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Art for the People, WPA-era paintings from the Dykstra Collection runs through November 5th at Oceanside Museum of Art. You can see the paintings tonight on KPBS Evening Edition. The skies over San Diego will roar this weekend. 
with the return of the Miramar Air Show. Military reporter Andrew Dyer got an early look at what to expect. The Navy's Blue Angels flight team is back in San Diego for the annual Miramar Air Show. Starting Friday and running through Sunday, the skies over Marine Corps Air Station Miramar will be teeming with fighters, aerobatic planes, and the rarely seen U-2 spy plane. Base Commander Colonel Marty Bedell says this mix of aircraft makes the Miramar Air Show, rebranded this year as America's Air Show, unique. The Miramar Air Show is the largest air show in DOD. And just in terms of scale and diversity of aircraft here, we have civilian performers, we have military performers from all of the services. The air show is free and open to the public. Bedell says sunscreen and water are recommended, but backpacks and coolers aren't allowed. Andrew Dyer, KPBS News. Also this weekend, top female surfers from all around the world are in Oceanside, competing in the Nissan Supergirl Surf Pro. The event is something of a festival that surf enthusiasts and local businesses look forward to every year. North County reporter Tanya Thorne shares the details. Over 140 top female surf pros from around the world will be competing for the Supergirl Surf Pro Championship this weekend. The event held near the Oceanside Pier runs until Sunday. Leslie Gall with Visit Oceanside says the festival is an event the community looks forward to every year. Over 100 professional surfers throughout the country and, and world competing. There will be a festival of activities ongoing for um, women to experience. There'll be esports tournaments going on in the area. Um, there'll be live bands playing throughout the weekend um, to include Sean Kingston. Gall says the event is an economic engine for the city and is expected to generate close to $1 million in spending. The event is free to attend and welcome to all. Surfing is not required. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. After you're done watching the pros catching waves, a new festival will make space for zines. This event is also in Oceanside, and dozens of zine makers, artists, musicians, and vendors will descend upon the Hill Street Country Club, all celebrating an enduring form of analog art. My colleague Julia Dixon Evans spoke with the people behind the festival. Dinah Polnitz is the co-founder and artistic director of the Hill Street Country Club, and Brooks Reeder is the founder of Lunchtime Print House and one of the coordinators of the Oceanside Zine Library. Here's that conversation. Dinah, I want to start with you. Can you tell me why zines are so important to the work of the Hill Street Country Club? Zines are so important at Hill Street Country Club because literally it's the most accessible form of art that we can disseminate in our community. And also it's an opportunity for our artists to extend outside their gallery exhibition into something that's, you know, again, accessible to our community. And, you know, zines are fun, they're creative. It's a part of archiving stories and also like gathering with community when you trade. I love that. And and Brooks, you publish zines and you have been a big part of the zine movement in Oceanside. But can you talk about how it all began for you? Um, when did you start making zines and, and what kind of motivated that? I probably started making zines about 15, 16 years ago. I've always enjoyed taking photos for fun as a hobby. Anytime I travel, I bring my camera and I shoot uh, primarily film. 
And I just was kind of tired of, you know, getting the pictures back from development and not doing anything with them. And I had a buddy at work who made zines and he uh, one time suggested I do that as a way to show, show my photos. And I, I I'm a graphic designer by trade. And so I've always enjoyed page layout and magazines and stuff like that. And so it kind of combined a couple loves of mine in creating them and, like I said, I started about 15 years ago, and I haven't looked back. So zines have this rich history. It's a way of sharing messages, activism, art, and connecting community long before the internet have made those sorts of things more instantly shareable, you know, without having to cut things and photocopy little books. But zines have persisted. What is it about this art form that is so enduring? Brooks? I think for me, my favorite thing is that there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. You can make a zine about your cat. You can make a zine about your favorite band or, you know, the skate scene in your town and share that with with anybody. And I think in this time and age where everybody's taking pictures with their phone and they take a picture and they see it and then it goes away, this is a cool way to you know, to share with others and have something tactile in your hands. And uh, it's it's really fun teaching kids uh, about zines and showing them that there's more they can do with their photos than just, uh, you know, take a selfie and post it on Instagram. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the actual festival. There are two days, uh, and the first is kind of a kickoff evening event with music performances and DJs. Brooks, can you tell us about, about some of what's happening that first night and some of those bands? Uh, yeah, so the first night, we really wanted to treat it like an art opening, because really, that's, I think, one of the things that Hill Street Country Club does the best are their art openings. And it also, I feel like doing it at night, it might get some people in there that don't know what scenes are, and they just want to come for the food or the the bands, and then, and then they'll get educated on what scenes are. And um, just to let everybody know out there, they are called zines, not zines. I get that a lot uh, with newcomers. But it's fun to uh, have people come up of all ages wondering even what they are. I think that's my favorite part about doing zine fairs is talking to the people. But yeah, so we have three bands playing. But uh, I, th- I think it's going to be real fun. We have some some food vendors there and, and, and drinks. And um, it's really going to be like I said, I, I we, we visioned it to be like an art opening. And then Sunday is more like a traditional zine fair where it's during the day, we have workshops that are going to happen, some talks. And I think we even have a kid's table where kids can come and learn about zines and do their own things. But again, that's kind of more Dinah's side of it. <laughs> I'm community <laughs> engagement. <laughs> um, Saturday and I, we have three bands. They're all from Oceanside. Also, we have our pages group art show. We have 20 artists that submitted for uh, the art show. And it's just a one page from a zine exhibit group show that's going to be in the gallery. And Flavor Lab, um, a vegan um, vendor, food vendor from City Heights is coming up and spending the day with us. And also Libo Lula is doing a pop-up bookstore, which we're really excited about because they're going to take over a space in the gallery that's that's in the back that most people don't ever visit. Everyone always goes to the front, but it's going to be in the back and there's an outdoor entrance and they're going to have a pop-up bookstore. And that's where we're going to have our talks with Akiko Sarai, 
with their postmark project about tattoos and able um, artworks who's going to do a zine folding workshop and a mental health zine um, workshop in the space. So yeah, we have a lot of activities for all ages. That was Dinah Polnitz, co-founder and artistic director of the Hill Street Country Club, and Brooks Reeder, founder of Lunchtime Print House and one of the coordinators of the Oceanside Zine Library, speaking with KPBS arts reporter Julia Dixon-Evans. The festival kicks off tomorrow from 6 to 10 p.m. and again on Sunday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast was produced by KPBS producer Emmalyn Mohebi and edited by KPBS editor Nick McVicker. We'd like to thank KPBS editor Megan Burke for helping the podcast team this week. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.